Welcome to the Kingdom Roots podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. My name is Laura Tarot, and today on the podcast, we have Doug McPherson as our guest. Doug is the lead pastor at Mayfield Road Baptist Church in Arlington, Texas. He is also a graduate of Northern Seminary. Welcome to the podcast, Doug. Thank you very much, Laura. Doug, good to see you. Good to hear you. Absolutely. It's been a little bit, Scott. It's been too long. So yeah, good to see yeah, you. That's right. Um, how, are, how are you doing as a pastor? Well, it's. Uh, I think I'm a lot more seasoned as a pastor than I was maybe than the last time we saw each other. Uh, yeah. If... if um, Dog years, one counts as seven. I, I think COVID years is probably something similar to that. <laughs> so, uh, but I'm I'm doing well. Um, God has been teaching all of us a lot, and uh, I I think in many ways um, the Lord has taught me a lot about faithfulness and and uh, and taught me about just how He's faithful and good to care for His people. Yeah. You know, um, people learned a lot about the church during COVID. They learned what it was, what it was not, what they could do, uh, what they couldn't do. And I'm I'm wondering, uh, you know, you're down here in Texas and um, you had a little bit different social context than we had up in, in Chicagoland. So the you weren't shut down as tightly as we were, although I know different churches made different decisions and the cultures of churches. But I, I'm I'm wondering what were the uh, what were the the biggest challenges that you faced uh, during this COVID season? I know we're coming out of it now, although right now when like we've got a bunch of people in our church who have COVID right now. Yeah, we couple, we have as well. Couple pastors, yeah, at least so, a few. What uh, what have been the what's what are the biggest challenges that you faced at Mayfield Mayfield Road I should say yeah yeah the it kind of progressed and so uh, like everything so the the early days I, I think there was a, a big difference between or the way that I thought about it we went from an acute crisis to a chronic crisis and the mentality or the way that people respond is very differently. I'd only ever led through acute crises where it's something quick, short, immediately, you know, you respond immediately. And often uh, for me, those had been times where we'd seen God work, um, where we'd seen God draw the church tighter together and um, where you come out of it more unified and, and with a greater sense of trust with one another. And that was how things were early on the first few weeks. Um, we communicated. We kind of saw how we think a, a shutdown is coming. And so we were able to communicate in advance. This is our plan and this is what we're going to do. And we responded that way. And the church uh, appreciated that and voiced that appreciation. And then as it went further along and it went moved into that chronic sort of state, um, 
things changed. And because, again, here in Texas, there was a lot more of a kind of a hands off, more of a Wild West approach. It's up to you, you know. Uh, and so for us as a church, um, what our approach was, was to take more of a data driven approach. We're going to look at the numbers, look at the community spread, let that inform what we do and how we do and what's the best way to care for our people. And not everybody did that. And so that meant there was a lot more frustration. There's a lot, there was um, anger. Uh, there were people that, you know, there's just, just a variety of opinions. Um, we surveyed our church um, about two or three months, maybe three months into the, into the pandemic uh, and asked just questions about how, you know, what were they feeling? What did they, uh, what were their needs? How were their needs being met or not met? You know, what were their thoughts about reopening? And it was split almost down the middle, Mm. Uh, you know, half saying they'd come back tomorrow, uh, about 40% saying it's going to be a few weeks, 10% say it's going to be quite a while. Um, Open comments. Some said, I don't think our church can survive this approach we're taking. Other folks said, we are so thankful that our church staff and pastors are loving us and doing what's best for us. Uh, So it was really varied. And then to lead uh, through that was was challenging because it all became politicized. And so, um, you know, when when you add on in addition to the pandemic, of course, the uh, the racial conversation, the challenges there, the economic conversation, the political realm just added gasoline to everything. And in, so it became a tense time and a very emotionally tense time. And then the way that often it's best to work through and to have conversations in emotional times are face to face and you don't have that opportunity, you know, so then so much more of your conversation is, is not in proximity. It's distant. And that became really difficult to lead our church through that, to address the conversations um, without, you know, if you say a buzzword, you're politically aligned and then either adopted or dismissed. And so in some ways uh, I had to find new language to have a conversation. So I couldn't be pigeonholed in (laughs) one side or the other. Yeah. Doug, who, who, um, who did you discover as a voice that gave you wisdom through this whole thing? I I mean, not in a sense of, you know, theology, but like you could say, I'm not sure what to do. Here's who, who, here's who in our church or maybe outside the church who really was helpful to you. Mm Mm-hmm. There, yeah, there were several different people. Um, I relied on some of the folks from my doctoral cohort as the peers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ben Tertine and Ray Miller were brothers to me uh, during that time and would often, a Zoom or a phone call, would, would be uh, counseling me and, and talking me back off the cliff or helping me see things from a different perspective. Um, uh, from uh, there, there we have a 
a nurse in our church from a medical perspective yeah. who knew a lot. I mean, she was head of a floor of, of uh, or, or head over a key area at one of our great hospitals here. And so that provided some information. And she was a voice that our church could trust. It wasn't mm. just some expert yeah. out there. There was a here, especially in, in Texas, there's kind of a resistance to expertise. But if it's someone we know and we know their heart, that we can trust. Um, I, I like a lot of pastors read uh, John Barry's book on the great influenza, just to kind of get a mindset of culture in a pandemic. That was helpful. Um, Scott, uh, your some of your language was really helpful to me. Uh, a the language of the church as a fellowship of difference has been a a gift to me in the season. I still go back and use regularly. Where the church is to be a fellowship of difference, and I, I've added my own to that is uh, different people from different backgrounds with different perspectives, but all un- united by our faith in Christ. And uh, that's just been a mantra that has been something I've kept going back to over and over again. And it's it's been language that that we can embrace as a church, and and it's. It's not in the political realm, and so yeah, and helpful. You know, our I know our church. Um, I heard from leaders in our church that there's some people who are really mad and they're going to leave, and and I thought, who who in the world is not trusting that this virus is dangerous, you know, and that we need to be really careful. We don't want to be known as super spreaders. And it seems like the media really like to tell the stories of some of these churches that decided to defy the science, at least the science that's reported. You know, I don't want to get in there and think that everything Anthony Fauci or Deborah Burke said was absolutely true forever and ever. But it was, it was, it was really surprising to me how many uh, dogmatic ideas some people had about how to behave during COVID. Yeah. And some of them were medical people. Yeah. Uh, so you could almost pick whoever you, whatever position you had, you could pick some expert who was on your, in your corner and you could do whatever you wanted. You yeah. Know? So, yeah. yeah. So we, we, one of the things that we, that I, I tried to do with, again, that fellowship of different ideas it's just keep coming back to this idea that we are, we are all doing the best that we can. Nobody's doing this perfectly and nobody, you know, our families are going to have different needs. Um, and, and in a multi-generational church, you know, we're going to have lots of different needs. And so let's just understand we're all doing the best we can and we're going to be okay with that. Yeah. We're going to love each other anyway. That's so good. I did. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Laura. You well, I was just thinking. Um, I'm in a denomination that talks a lot about community discernment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a phrase that they use a lot in terms of important decisions. Um, how how are we relying on the Holy Spirit to discern in this moment how we as a group want to move together? And um, I, I think that 
this was really a testing point for a lot of churches. Um, how as we as a, as a community, what decisions are we going to make? How are we going to take into account the different needs? Like you're saying, the fellowship of difference. We have people with different health needs, different age groups, different accessibility to you know vaccines, different beliefs about vaccines. How are we going to uh, honor one another and discern together um, a direction that we can move together and, and be united in that. And I think that um, some churches were better positioned to have those conversations than others. And I think that, um, or I've been thinking like, how do we move forward as we move out of this season? How do we, you know, either sort of develop that muscle of discernment together Um because we're not we're not free from crises forever. There will be other moments where we have to navigate hard things. So how do we develop this process in such a way that it becomes part of our nature? Um, that when we're when we're divided on questions that are important to a lot of us, um, how do we go through that process together rather than just one person saying this is how it's going to be, um, or even just you know a small team of leaders deciding that? How do we involve people in the process? Um, yeah, and I, th I think a lot of churches realize like this is something we need to work on developing. Yeah, I think we have we have great we have some wonderful people who love the Lord who are thoughtful and and many of them I could have added them to the list too. They were key. Um, leaders and encouragers to me. They were just brothers and sisters uh, who really were a gift to me. One thing that I recognized um, coming out of it is even structurally like within our, our church polity, um, we're, you know, we're a Baptist church. And so every, there's a committee for everything. <laughs> we don't have a committee for crisis decisions. And, you know, we had, I, I met with our deacons. I talked with our our life group leaders um, and some key other just influential, wise people in the church. But we didn't really have and still don't really have a, a body that would directly speak to that. And that's one thing moving forward that I think we need to have some conversations about, you know, addressing some, you know, some structural way where we have a, a plan or a, a process for working through crises like that. That's interesting, Doug. How did um, how did your preaching change uh, during COVID? Yeah, it most obviously got a little shorter, a little tighter. Um, I'm I'm not a long, I haven't been a long preacher anyway. But I moved from about uh, twenty eight to thirty minutes down to twenty. Um, I'm, I've kind of moved it up to about 25 right now, right now. And that's, I think that's where it needs to stay for me anyway. Um, so I, I think, I think, yeah, we, when it, when everything was online, we just got real drastic about shortening things to work with people's attention. But I think even most of our people being back, there's still some of, I don't know that I can even put a, a finger on it all, but I still think our attention spans are changed, are shorter, and 
you know, my preaching prof in college said he never heard a bad short sermon and very few good long ones. And so it's probably a good, good lesson for me there. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good one. I never heard a bad short sermon. Everybody's relieved. You know, I do think, I think this is a really interesting uh, point you're making because I find myself, when I was home, I did not want some, I wanted things to move quicker. Yeah. You know, we don't need, 12 songs, and I'm not complaining about our church. We don't need, um, it's just not going to be the same when we're sitting in our living room and I've got my cup of coffee right there and my phone, if something happens, I can check it out and I can get up and go to the bathroom if I have to. That really changed the dynamic. And um, I found that, I think our church reduced the sermons to 20 minutes, 18 to 20 minutes, I think it was. And when we came back, both Chris and I felt a little impatient at times with the sermons that seemed to be going a little bit longer. And I thought maybe we, maybe we learned from that. Well, what were the, uh, yeah, that's the whole service. Yeah. We, I think tailoring services down a little bit is not, is not the worst thing in the world. Although <laughs> yeah. each church has its own, has its own uh, structure for the I agree. One other thing I'll say on that, Scott is, um, in addition to time, um, I, I've always been very much heavy on, you know, the sermon. We need to soak our minds in scripture. Um, this isn't my time to just kind of pull a verse and, and talk about whatever I want to talk about. But in a renewed way, um, we really have found the scriptures to be our, our anchor. Our, our This is us hearing God's voice at this time. And so it it renewed my approach in studying for scripture for the sermons. Um, we we learned to look to scriptures to speak to our time now. And so we've done um, we did a series through the book of Daniel, and that was such a rich and good time for our church to remember our, God has always had our world in his hands and he does now. And even when there's chaos and things just seem like they're falling apart, it's crazy. We don't know where to look. There's all kinds of weird stuff, weird political currents and waves coming in our world. He's the one that will hold us fast. And he's the one that we can trust is that unmovable rock when the different waves come. Um, so that's been huge for us. Um, we spent a good part of this last year in the Sermon on the Mount, um, remembering who we're called to be as God's people. This is, he's shaping us as his followers. And um, it's all about who we're called to be, not so much what we get done, um, but about becoming who he would have us to be. Doug, I, I can imagine too that you felt pastorally sensitive towards some of the people in the church because of what was going on in COVID, of suffering, of getting the getting COVID, of you know, worrying about it, anxiety. I mean, how did pastorally were you able, do you think you were able to uh bring this into normal sermons? I think so. There was there was um yeah, there was a bit of 
you could some people wanted you to to mention it because it was foremost on your mind as we've gotten further in there's there's kind of fatigue where people don't want to talk about the pandemic and you know we would keep talking about it because and i would keep saying hey look this is part of what's going on whatever you think whatever your view is we all have some suppressed grief um suppressed anxiety i mean we're having physical manifestations i've got good friends that have had um, panic attacks or high blood pressure, you know, different things. There's physical Mm -hmm. uh, manifestations of what we're going on, whatever your perspective has been. And so, yeah, we've got to talk about this in the church. We've got to talk about this and let God's word speak to us to remind us who's really in control and remind us how do we live as God's people now in this season and so, yeah, I talked about it in sermons, um, talked to people, you know, in phone calls and, 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 you know, in person, just however we could do it at different, different times, different seasons. And we adjusted our, I adjusted my approach. Um, I, Doug, I you're, think um, okay. yeah, go, you're, you're pretty, you're a personal pastoral type person. Yeah. How did you maintain I mean, there's some pastors who are real introverts who just were thrilled with COVID because they could stay in their office and they didn't have to talk to people. Uh, and then, But there are a lot of them who are, you know, there's a stereotype of pastors being extroverts, which is not what you are. But how did you maintain, how did the church, your Mayfield Road Baptist, how did you maintain, let's say, the interpersonal dimension of pastoring and church living during during this time? I approach it through, I guess, layers of, of leaders. And so uh, I really, our, our staff continued to, to meet. We were, we were able to be essential personnel and we have a small staff. And so we were able to continue to work together and, and, I started with them, our, our staff. I said, I'm, I'm going to walk with them and shepherd them through this and let them pastor me. It, it really, we, we kind of had a foxhole mentality and had a good staff to start with. But uh, going through that together, God really um, used us to be, uh, to be encouragers and call out the best in one another. I spent time uh communicating and, and reaching out to and working with our life group leaders and our deacons, and then just tried to be available with as many people as I could um, at, again, differing levels at different parts in it. Um, phone calls, text messages. Um, I, I do think, Scott, honestly, this is the one area I look back on and think I could have done better. I could have been more intentional, more organized in keeping up with everybody. I, I do uh, wish I had done a better job in that. Um, but I did have the approach and kind of the mindset. Um, Andy Stanley says, you know, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And so I tried to have that mindset when people would reach out or when I could have a phone call. Okay, I'm I can't call everybody in the church today, but I'm going to make sure this conversation I'm fully present and 
just see how we can love and care for this family, this person. And um, well, a few things I've done to change. I've started writing birthday cards and stuff to every church member and just little, little things that I can do that over time I've, I've tried to be more intentional even as we're gathering. Yeah, that, that was really satisfied with. I talked to a pastor today who told me that uh, their church made a commitment like uh, this, this person was in charge of the youth and was charged with ca- uh, calling every parent uh, f- family uh, every month just just to stay in touch with them and I don't I don't know how that worked out. We obviously don't have youth kids in the youth group. Um, we got grandkids in the youth group, but um, it was I think that that side of ministry is profoundly vital for some people. And they, those are the ones that probably suffered a bit in a church not having that kind of interpersonal dimension. Yeah. I'll say, again, our staff, I know our staff did a great job, and our life group leaders are really consistent. We've got some great ones that are really consistent and faithful to keep up with everybody. Um, so I, I was I was comforted with that. But, yeah, I, I wasn't uh, – I learned from it, we'll say. Our, our – uh... We don't have growth groups. We have community groups. We met, um, I think we meet, I don't know how often. Chris take, Chris tells me when we're having growth group or whatever. Um, I think it's every other week. and Maybe it's once a month, but I think it's every other week. And we met on Zoom, and uh, we talked for an hour, and different people we caught up. So I felt like the entire uh, COVID time that – we we continued to meet and we we did similar things that we normally do i mean we didn't have food to eat in front of with one another but it was uh almost a mirror to me one of the great things about covid was the exploitation of our technology that allowed us to sort of have a a verisimilitude to the very things like like this conversation you and i could talk like this and we We've we sense that we're uh, bodily present with one another that we could never have done before. Yeah, yeah. So I I found I found that uh, we did. I think our church did pretty well on that on that account. And it's you would think it wouldn't, but we did not lose too many people. And our giving was up. Was your giving okay? Yeah, we were really concerned about that early on and made a lot of real quick adjustments. But our our giving was fine. We did not see a, a drop. Um, now we've we've seen in the months afterwards. We did. You know, we started losing people. Uh, some were unhappy. Um, you know, some of that sort of thing. And so we've seen a later on impact, um, but not not the not the sudden change or sudden drop that that we expected. And even I say we've seen an impact. We've also seen some of that start to come back as we've added new families too. So what about transitions? Let's say funerals, weddings, graduations. You know, it's it's sad, isn't it, when the high school kids like our high school kids didn't have prom. They 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 kind of had like a car parade through the parking lot. And uh you think, eh, that's that's a transition moment that is 
just completely obliterated. How about how about that sort of thing with you? Yeah, yeah, we saw that for sure. And I I hated it. We had some college graduates and some high school graduates that, you know, we had known and cheered on for a few years. And so that was a bummer. Um, just, yeah, loved them and encouraged them and that sort of thing. As much as I hated that, to me, the, the ones that were the most difficult were funerals, um, like right in the very beginning where there weren't any, we didn't have any ways of adapting. And so I know we had one funeral where just almost nobody was there. Um, they had to, oh, that's to sad, I mean, that sort of thing. We had people whose loved ones passed and they weren't able to be with them. Um, yeah. There was some awful stuff. And that's, that's the part where there's going to be ongoing hurt, ongoing grief, trauma, um, and, yeah, that's going to stick with us for a while. Yeah. I mean, people like where my parents were in a um, nursing home during COVID. And there were times when they would not let anybody come visit them. Yeah. And so, I mean, we talked on the phone a lot. My, and I think, yeah, for a while, my mother had a tablet that she she learned to use at, at 90, which was, which was, she would turn off her, accidentally turn off her hearing aid and actually turned down the volume and couldn't understand <laughs> what we were saying. Thought we weren't talking loud enough, you know, but um, it was, there were some really sad moments pastorally that mm -hmm. it's not that people missed them in the sense that it was neglect. It was just COVID did not permit certain kinds of things that, that, that pastors and churches are skilled at doing and they're the only right. ones who do it. Right. So. Yeah. It's interesting, too. I don't know, Doug, if you had this happen, but our first membership class, once things started opening up, it was a bumper crop of people um, because there were people who'd been waiting to join the church. Similarly, with confirmation, we have a huge confirmation class this year because it's all it's all these kids that were kind of backed up in the system, you know, who'd been waiting to do it. So it's just interesting how all that plays out. But I think the the like you're saying, like people are saying the same things about weddings. There's all these people that were waiting, you know, to. Yeah putting off their weddings. Um, but the funerals are the thing I think you feel like, oh man, like that's not something you can, it, I think some families postpone things and did memorial services later, but yeah, those milestones are important. And, um, as a church, we mark a lot of those for families. Um, so it's important to still celebrate those things. Well, Doug, thank you so much for this conversation. It's It's been really fun for us uh, to talk with pastors in different parts of the country. And the beauty of Northern Seminary is we know a lot of pastors who are pastoring in different kinds of communities and um, just giving us a, a touch point with um, just hearing how the church is doing and how pastors are doing, I think is, is really important. So thanks for taking some time with us. And to all of our guests, yeah, we look forward to being with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Thanks so much. Bye.